Thanks so much. Great to be here. Thank you for coming and thank you for caring. I want to tell you a story from my life. And then we're going to unwind it a bit and see if there are some teaching points that you might be able to use for your lives. I did my seven-year residency in neurosurgery. I did a fellowship in Vienna, Austria. Took my first job in Pennsylvania. I was then recruited to San Diego. I started practicing for a few years got board certified, and then the voices started saying, David, you need to settle down. And of course, as a neurosurgeon, you know what that means. It means it's time to get married and buy a very expensive sports car. (laughs) Not necessarily in that order. A friend at work said, David, you have to meet my cousin Susie. She lives in Seattle. She's cute, great family. So I flew to Seattle and had a blind date with Susie. And it went well. She was was cute. But the biggest selling point for me, I would say, was her family. She had a father who was an author, a speaker well-known in his sphere of influence. And when I flew back to San Diego, I said, this is, this is really what I need. I need to settle down. So I flew back to... Seattle a few weeks later, and I said to Susie, you are just the kind of woman I'm looking for. I really want to move this relationship forward. Susie was thrilled. So I flew back to San Diego, and the next time I went up, I was... Well, it wasn't... There wasn't a lot of chemistry, but I thought, well... You know, it'll come. The fourth time I flew up to Seattle, I noticed that when Susie met me in the airport, I was expecting a spark or some fireworks. And when I saw her coming down the jetway, vanilla. There was just nothing there. But I really wanted this to work. I really, you know, those of us who weren't raised in a family that had close brothers and sisters, that had a lot of encouragement, you want to be part of that. And I wanted to be part of this family. Well, I flew back to San Diego, but before I did, I said, Susie, I just think we need to slow things down a bit. Well, that was not what she wanted to hear. And she got very pouty, she got very angry, and she said, you know, you are just like every other guy. (laughs) 
wait a minute, I'm a neurosurgeon. I'm not like every other guy. <laughs> You're not a very loving man, she said. Ouch, that hurt. So I went back to San Diego. And I decided to get some advice about the relationship. And when you're single, you somehow believe that married people are relational geniuses. <laughs> and so I went to my married friend, and I said, um, Matt, I, I've got a problem. He said, what is it? I said, I've got this woman. She looks great on paper. But I don't have any feelings for her. Cute, great family, athletic, all the things that I thought was going to make me happy, but I don't have feelings. He said, feelings, schmealings. Who needs feelings? <laughs> Let me tell you something. The feelings, they all go away in six months anyway. <laughs> they do. I said, Matt, I'd at least like my six months. Can I? <laughs> he said, let me ask you a question. Have you ever made a commitment? I said, well, I, I bought a house. He said, no, I mean to a person. Have you made a commitment to a person? No, never, never did that. He said, there's your problem. If you commit, the feelings will come. Wow, that is the only thing that I had never thought of. You're not feeling good about something, so instead of running away, you actually commit to it. Well, he's married. He's, he probably knows what he's talking about. That's the only thing I hadn't tried. So a few weeks later, I flew to Seattle, and I asked Susie to marry me. I heard some women groan. <laughs> I think some of the men are going, did that work? <laughs> How did that work out? I'll tell you. And when I asked Susie to marry me, she was so happy. And being around a woman that's that happy just makes you happy. And I thought, this is what he was talking about. These are the feelings he was talking about. I'm, I'm just so... The knight in shining armor, I was up on a pedestal. The whole family was so happy with me. So we started making wedding plans. It was just going fabulous. She sold her car. She quit her job. And she moved to San Diego. And I was there in the airport to pick her up. And I was expecting, after all of this commitment, ooh, this was going to be some fireworks when she came down the jetway. And I saw her coming toward me. And I was getting ready. At some point, the feelings were going to just overwhelm me like a waterfall. She got right up to me, vanilla. There was just no spark. There was no, well, anything. So I gave her a hug and welcomed her to San Diego. And we started our relationship, trying to work things out, a bit rocky. About two months 
later, I was noticing that I couldn't eat Mexican food any longer. Now, when you live in San Diego, Mexican food is very important to the culture there. And so to find that I couldn't eat Mexican food, wow, it really, really bothered me. Well, then I found a few weeks later, I couldn't eat really any spices, not even salad dressing. I mean, it was, it was getting pretty severe. So I went to my local GI doc. I, started, I tried the Tums, I tried the Maalox, I tried all of those things. Ultimately, I had to go on the prescription meds and then the next higher prescription med to try to solve this acid reflux problem. Sometime after that, I, I remember feeling this knot in my stomach. And I was losing weight. I'd lost about 10 pounds. And I knew from medical school what that meant. I had a stomach tumor. I had a mass, losing weight. <laughs> it was clear to me. Went to my GI doc, and he said, uh, let's scope you. So there I went. She, Susie drove me to the appointment. They put me out, had the scope, woke me up. He said, we didn't find anything to biopsy, but you have a little irritation of the stomach lining. Have you been under any stress lately? <laughs> and I looked over, and Susie was holding on to my arm. And I thought... Now I've got a woman who loves me. I can't think of any stress. Well, Susie drove me home that night and dropped me off at my house. And when the verse said wore off, I started thinking, what has changed in this last six months? <laughs> you know, it didn't match up chronologically, but about six weeks after she moved here, and then Eureka it's her. And there was this huge relief that I didn't have a stomach tumor and I had found the reason for all of my pain. And just a moment later came, oh no, I'm going to have to tell her. I'm going to have to break up with her. And then I realized why, probably subconsciously, I was hoping that I had a stomach tumor. You die very quickly in a couple of months. <laughs> she would be at my side tragically, and I would not have to have this conversation. Well, I delayed, I delayed. But by this time, I was eating, I think, in the... In that period, the, the health foods were rice cakes and soy milk. That was all I could eat. Soy milk and rice cakes. I was just no spice. And I realized that I wasn't going to die quickly. I was going to slowly starve to death <laughs> if I didn't break the news to Susie. So I vividly remember going to the restaurant and saying to her, Susie, 
I'm not going to marry you. And have you ever seen one of those mushroom clouds from the atomic bomb? It just sort of, a lot of fallout and toxic waste and toxic words. And there, were a lot of, there was a lot of accusation. There's a lot of blame. There's a lot of shame on both sides. And ultimately, a few weeks later, Susie moved back to Seattle. And a week later, I was eating burritos and enchiladas. <laughs> and I was so happy I had dodged the bullet. I want to unpack this story a little bit because I think there are lessons for all of us in here. The number one thing I want to talk about is had the stomach medicine worked? I'm not saying I would have married Susie, but I probably would have stayed in the relationship at least another six months to a year. And I want you to think about your illnesses and pains and aches. I wonder if there's something that your body is telling you that you don't want to hear. You really would rather not have that conversation. You see, it's very easy for me to say, and at the time, I could conclude she was the problem, I got rid of her, case closed, uh, dodged a bullet. But there are lessons on both sides of this. It takes two people. It takes two people to make a mess like I made. And she was angry, and her family was angry, and it was all the things I had not wanted. I wanted to please them. I wanted to be seen highly in their eyes. Good decisions come from making poor decisions. Good decisions come from making poor decisions. We wish that we could learn all this in a book. Most of us have a higher education, and so we've spent a lot of time and a lot of energy honing our skills, whether you're in administration, management, medicine, and while we are in our training, I can just speak for myself, they're some of the most selfish years of my entire life. It's all about me, it's all about my time, my schedule, my study, I am in acquisition mode. And as you can tell, when I got out, I stayed in acquisition mode And is it interesting that we spend so much time honing these skills? And by the way, no one gets all the gifts. So if you are exceptionally gifted at one thing, you're probably missing a couple of other areas. But we all assume that it's no big deal. It's just as natural as could be to have a relationship.
You know, my pain was caused by pretending, by being a people pleaser, by trying to make someone believe or even make myself believe something was true that actually wasn't true. If you are a people pleaser, there is a reason that you are a people pleaser. There was a time in your life when it wasn't safe not to please the adults around you. And I want to just pause for a moment because most of us in healthcare have this people pleasing, this nurturing, this caring heart. And it is seen as very, very valuable, and it is very valuable, the sensitive heart, but it's also, it also can be used to keep you moving on a path that you're not meant to move on so that you can get that goal, that relationship, that job. I wonder if there's something in your life right now that you, your body is telling you, I'm not sure that's healthy for you. I know you want it, but maybe it's not the right thing or the right time for you right now. I just want to pause and I want you to think about that. I was a people pleaser. I got caught up in trying to please a woman, maybe even her family, so that I could be part of something that I wanted. But I didn't have the relational skills, the ability to be myself. But it's also interesting that Susie somehow picked up on that and was able to use my lack of skills or lack of confidence in this arena to, I'm going to say, manipulate me into continuing to move forward when I was showing signs and trying to tell her, this is not right for me. Because I had already shown such enthusiasm, now to move back somehow was saying that I was deceptive or dishonest. So I had to continue the charade. I had to keep it going. Now for her and for my own integrity, I was not allowed to say, you know, I did feel that way when I first met you, but I, I don't feel that way anymore. Because I had said some things, let's move this relationship forward. She was able to say things like, you're just like every other guy, which just made me sort of, yeah, no, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever I need to do. I love you. Let's move this thing forward. We'll, we'll do this. It's naivete, but those of us who, who have such high educations, often we are missing, we have gaps in our relational toolbox. And we end up trying to please people or avoid conversations that hurts our health. So I've talked about myself. Let's talk about, let's talk about Susie's side of the street. I wonder if there's anyone here who uses manipulation or coercion or pressure or guilt, or anger, or anything to try to get the people around you to do what you want them to do. When I first started looking at this, I realized, well, yeah, I do that too. That's what was used in my family of origin. 
And it could be foot stomping, it could be door slamming, it could be some yelling, it could be any number of things. But probably most of us are familiar with the silent treatment, the pout, the withdrawal, the dismissive. How long does that last? Days? A week? You don't know. You just know that you need to tiptoe around them. Many of us have been brought up in an environment where you've learned this tiptoe role, and so that can be used against you when someone acts dismissive, someone acts harshly, someone's angry with you, and you suddenly feel like you, it's your fault and you need to respond. What about guilt? Are you using guilt in your work or family relationships to try to get people to do things that you want them to do that actually they don't want to do? How many people have said to me, oh, David, I, you know, we, we don't see you anymore. You used to come around all the time. Uh, what, what is that? Are people free around you or are you using these little hooks so that now I feel guilty, like, oh, I need to go by and visit them? I mean, you can say the same thing without guilt and allow people to be free. Hey, anytime you're free, we'd love to see you. Total freedom in that. I've noticed I use this sometimes with... I had a handyman who was not very reliable, and I, I was starting to get angry, and I was starting to, to use threats, and, and I said, wait a minute. All of this anger is, is, is not good for the person, or it's not good for you. The problem is that the reason you're angry is to, because to find another handyman or a, another person, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you some more effort that you were not planning on putting in. But as you look at your desire to control the people around you, are you using guilt? Are you using shame? Are you using manipulation to try to get behavioral changes? Because you may get them. But you're going to destroy the fiber of the relationship because relationships are built on mutual trust and respect. And what coercion and what guilt and what shame and what manipulation do is they say, I don't trust you, I need to control you. And I can tell you what it did for Susie and my relationship. By the end of that relationship, I could see nothing good about her. What it does is builds up resentment. And with resentment, you, you can't see anything good about the person. I wonder if there's a relationship in your life for which you have started maybe not even noticing. It's so subtle as it comes up. You sort of resent them. And you just don't want to be around them, but they keep guilting you, manipulating you, maybe passive-aggressive, to try to get you to change your behavior around them, but it's not endearing. It's not something that you 
that's drawing you to them. And there it is. If you are using any type of control in your relationships, it's not endearing. It's not relational. It's actually doing the opposite. You may be getting behavioral change, but you're not getting intimacy and you're not getting love. You're not actually even getting what you want. Sarcasm, another thing that we use to control people. It's all just a joke. And very intelligent people are really good at sarcasm. It's actually one of the top things responsible for marital failure is the use of sarcasm. Oh, that was great. Oh, you burned the dinner again. Good job. Smooth move. We are, we are in some of our families, we're just experts at this. The word, sark, flesh, chasm, divide. Flesh tearing is what the word means. Sarcasm. Flesh tearing. How is your use of sarcasm at work or at home? I mean, doctors are great because we, we've got to have some way to, to relieve the stress and the tension. And so we migrate to sarcasm. But then it's all over the television. This is, this is our f- favorite form of humor. It's actually not humor. It's a sickness. It's flesh tearing. I just want to pause for a moment because this is such a popular problem, common problem in families that you may not even notice that you use it. Oh, the teasing. Ah, losing a little, hair is getting a little thin. You know, how, how is, can we compliment each other? Do we need this flesh-tearing form of, ah, gaining a little weight? Huh. You know, how, the, the prods, oh, the la, you know, last year's Lexus wasn't good enough for you. How, what are we saying to each other? What is... It's hurting. You know, I want to finish up now talking about reconciliation. Susie's family wanted us to have a reconciliation meeting. And I had never been to a reconciliation meeting, but I was open to it. I was in Seattle on business So I went to the reconciliation meeting. It was profoundly instructive to me. Profoundly instructive. And this is how a reconciliation meeting works if you've never been in one. I'll never forget this. There was a couple who was there with us. And they said, Susie, what we want you to do is tell David how he hurt you. Well, she said, well, he he deceived me. I thought he loved me. That's why I quit my job and moved to San Diego. I was expecting I was moving for a man who loved me. And I immediately said, yeah, but you were manipulate." So they said, stop. That's how most relationships go. She's telling you something, and you are now telling her what hurt you, and you're getting nowhere. So we want you to be quiet. I want you to listen to her. And I want you to tell her, repeat back to her what she's saying. Oh, now I had to listen. (laughs) Ouch. I had to say to her, she's saying that she was really 
hurt. It felt like a betrayal that someone actually asked to marry her who had no feelings for her. And she came under the belief and the excitement, enthusiasm that the man waiting for her in San Diego was in love with her. And it wasn't true. And I could see why that would be very, very painful. They turned to Susie and they said, Susie, do you think that David understands what you felt? She said, yes, I think that he does. I said, David, now you can ask Susie to forgive you for that. I said, Susie, would you forgive me for deceiving you into thinking that I was in love with you? I'm sorry. And they said, Susie, now you can forgive him. And Susie said, I forgive you. I said, David, it's, it's your turn. And I said, well, when I tried to speak up, I felt like she manipulated me. She would not let me back up. And so I had to keep moving forward. Actually, can, when we use words like that, she made me angry. She made me move it's actually not true, is it? Nobody, the, people can create circumstances around you, but you have to actually move forward. I know that now, but at the time, they just said, Susie, can you repeat what he said? And Susie was able to say, I can see that when I wouldn't let him back up, how it felt like control and manipulation and started the seeds of resentment. And so I was able to and she asked for forgiveness, and I forgave her. It went on for an hour. It was beautiful. It was one of the most instructive things I had ever done. I, I think she was hoping that there was a chance we may get back together. I was not interested in, in trying again. I was, um, I'd had enough. And Susie went on and married uh, some years later, and I went on and married some years later to a woman, uh, Naomi, who I have feelings for, and still have feelings for. <clears throat> they did not go away in six months. There was a friend of mine who was on the other side of this. He was dating a woman and she asked him for a loan, and so he gave her some money, and she left. And he felt tremendously betrayed. He's a neurosurgeon friend of mine. And it's interesting that his back pain started about that time. And I said to him, why don't we try to forgive this? And I worked with him. Forgiveness is not easy. This is, this is really, really tough stuff. And when he forgave her, his back pain went away. He said, it was like a knife in my back, and now it's gone. Our physical bodies really are barometers of a lot of our physical, not just physical, but relational, spiritual, emotional, um, social, all these things, your physical body picks up a lot of that. 
And I want to just pause right now and give you 30 seconds to, to, to look at this story, to look at the things that we've talked about. People-pleasing, desiring something, maybe not having the skills, being embarrassed that you don't have the relational skills, making a mess, not knowing how to fix it. Looking at anger, manipulation, are, is that something that people are using on you or something you may be using on others? Or in most cases, it's both. It is our culture. That, that is what advertisement is. Making you feel guilty or shamed or something to get you to buy it. We are saturated with manipulation. So it's no surprise that we use it in our relationships and it has a very negative effect. I just want to give you 30 seconds or a minute right now, just in your own time. I don't want to just entertain you. I want you to personalize what I've said. There is something called identificational repentance. And that is most of us who have been hurt by these people will not go through a reconciliation meeting. Most of the people who have hurt you, and I, I am almost positive there is not a person in this room who has not been betrayed, who have not had someone close to you use what they know to take advantage or to leave you, whatever it was. It is such a common thing, and it's the one thing that we all try to put behind us and pretend it didn't happen to us. And so if it happened to you, if you have been betrayed by somebody, if someone led you to believe something was true about them or about your relationship that wasn't true, and it hurt you very badly, what I'm saying is it's a good idea if you forgive them. It's good for your health, and it's good for your future relationships. Because when we hang on to these vows that we make, I will never again do that. We make, it, we make these things, these statements, we'll call them, to, to protect ourselves, but it's also keeping the love out. Because you can only be loved to the level that you are known. And if we tend to pull back, we will not engage. And what I want to do, because I did that to Susie, I want to apologize to you as if I was the person who did it to you. And I can say that I'm sorry for what I have caused you, the pain and suffering that I caused you. I'm sorry for really thinking of myself and not thinking of how my actions were affecting you. I'm sorry for making you believe something that wasn't true, for drawing you down a road that ended up causing a lot of hurt and disappointment and dreams that were shattered. I recognize the pain I've caused you. Will you forgive me? And sometimes, even if we can't get an apology from the person, if we can get one from someone who's done something similar, we might be able to get free from this resentment and bitterness that destroys our health and destroys our current relationships.
What I'm not saying to you is if you're in a relationship and you're married to send your spouse back to Seattle. (laughs) Do not misunderstand what I'm saying. But it could very well be that you need a reconciliation meeting that because so many of the hurts that are manifesting now in your relationship actually started in the dating stage. There were seeds sown back there that are bearing fruit now. And most of us have to go all the way back and do some apologies for what happened back there to really get free and to be able to give and receive forgiveness. Very, very powerful for the relationship. Lastly, I want to say, have grace with yourself. Have grace with yourself. Humility, to tell a story like this, very, very healthy. Humility is so good for you because so many of us with our education, with diplomas on the walls, it's all pride. Pride comes before destruction. Humility is the path to joy. If you can say, you know, I, I'm actually not as good as relationships as I assumed that I was, as I thought I was. I'm not as mature as I thought I was. I want to be better. That's where learning starts. Not pretending that you're as good as you're supposed to be because you've got all this education. Your relationships, your circumstances are showing, this is where I'm at. I'm, you've got to take it where it is. You've got to start the journey where you are. Have grace with yourselves. Most of us have studied a lot of other fields, and even people who've studied psychology are not necessarily good at relationships. It takes work, it takes practice, it takes humility, it takes having those difficult conversations, but also listening to your own heart. So many of us are so out of touch with our own heart and looking for joy, looking for the joy that you used to have in the relationship. Maybe if some of it has faded, you can say, you know, I wonder if some resentment has built up. I'm going to take some of the time this weekend to really look at that, to really ask those hard questions. And I bless you with fruitfulness in your relationships. Thank you for your attention.